Well, welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Corey. And I'm Shanik. And we're glad that you're listening, tuning in wherever you are, whether you're on your way to work, in the house, rub-a-dub-dub, in the tub, whatever. Wherever. Yeah. Hey, I don't know why I said that. But good. welcome back. If you haven't left a review already, please go do so. I know we say it every single week, but we appreciate your compliments, your critiques. Yeah, and share this podcast with a friend, whether it's through text, message, however you want to get it to them. Do it. Do the dang thing. Question of the week is tomorrow March Madness starts officially. And don't get on me how the first four started yesterday. Yeah. No one cares. Nope. This tournament starts tomorrow. Since it is March Madness season, what is your favorite March Madness memory? So I was really young the last time Indiana won a championship. Matter of fact, I was seven years old, 1987. Was that the undefeated season? Um, no, that's 76. Oh. And so I do remember that game. I remember watching it um, with family. I believe my uncle was there. And, uh, of course, super excited, super pumped. Been, I guess, groomed to be an IU fan since I was born. Um, just, you know, through most of my family being IU Hoosiers, you know, whether they went to school there or they just support the team. Um, but a fun memory would be the title run in 02. Now we did get defeated by Maryland in the national championship game. But like that age, um, man, I think I was, uh, I guess, 22. And it was just like a fun time, just being out, different places, a lot of hype. I was, um, I guess, a senior at IUS. And so it was just so much fun to watch those guys and ton of, like ton of shooters, but had a couple. Can you name the starting five? <sighs> I think I can. Let's yeah. go. So, of course, uh, our star of that team was uh, Jared Jeffries. Mm -hmm. Spent a lot of time in the league after that. Um, our five, our big guy was uh, this dude named Jeff Newton, tall, lanky. Look at you. Uh, our point guard was Tom Coverdale, a little redheaded guy, could shoot. Uh, Dane Fife, who now is uh, back at IU as an assistant. Yeah, he after just left Michigan State. A ton of time at Michigan State. Um, and then, uh, hmm. oh, this dude named Kyle Hornsby. Look at you. That's impressive. That was 20 years ago. It was exactly 20 years ago. But I could name the guards for Maryland, uh, Juan Dixon and Steve uh, Blake. And the big guy, Chris Wilcox. Yeah, man, Juan Dixon. Hey, man, they beat they Michigan State, I think, that year. I remember watching them. That was a big yeah. year. So it was a, it was a fun time. I remember, like, man, everything about it. We were five seed coming out of the West. I remember the four seed in that bracket with USC. They got defeated by the 13. So we had a pretty easy path you. until we got to Duke in the Sweet 16. And uh, Duke was the number one overall seed that, that year um with uh jason williams and oh, yeah. uh they had a big guy uh, he played a lot of a long time in the league too but anyway i think aj moye with a block on carlos boozer was his name carlos now that i got boozer. it now i'm saying the story uh -huh. and uh dude there was just so much hype around that year it was freaking amazing then we played that, they had oklahoma they had in the final guy. four hold on they had dunleavy right uh i don't know mike, if that was mike the same dunleavy. year or not it i think it was but then they played oklahoma the final four that year uh, with Kelvin Sampson coaching, little did we know, like five years later, he was going to be our coach and then get fired for something that two years later became legal in the NCAA. <laughs> but we won't go there. So what do you? What about you? There's a lot of animosity there. I mean, I'm two years before you. The 2000 title run for Michigan State, that was really the first time I ever remember going back, getting like hyped about basketball. I used to play. Uh, I used to be imaginary Mateen Cleaves in my downstairs oh, yeah. little tykes basketball. I had a take back line. I would play for the other team. Sometimes I would even lose playing by myself. But <laughs> I remember, yeah, that's when I How old were in you love. in 2000? Uh, 13. 13? Yeah, that's when I remember falling in love with the game. Mateen Cleaves, Mo Pete. Um, 
Yeah, I, yeah. I do remember that team. They that were amazing. Team, that they year. were amazing. We they had, they had the number one overall seed too. I they think right. So. I yeah, can't remember. and they just ran the table. I can't remember. Ran the table. Ah, uh, this time of year is so good for me. I love basketball. Love college basketball. March Madness is, um, man, just one of my highlights of the year. And I actually, I love that you are now teaching pastor. So it just worked out this way, but I don't know if you knew this or not, but a lot of times I would schedule you to preach in the past, like <laughs> this weekend so that I could just like enjoy games Thursday through Sunday and that's what's happening and not have again. to have that pressure. And I think, yeah, you got to preach. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Already, but I'll it's still all good. watch almost every <laughs> no, game. No, I know. It's all good. I love it. Who do you think is going to win it all? Or should we save that question for next let's week? Save, let's save the question. Once we like, have it narrowed uh, down to the Sweet 16. Yeah, Sweet 16 or something. <laughs> yeah. Sounds, sounds like a that. good thing. Well, we are in week two of what we call cow tipping, mm-hmm. you know, addressing some of the sacred cows in the church. Last week, we talked about all are included, even though we titled it all, all aren't included. Right. This week, we've titled this episode, Beware of Hyper Grace. And yeah, if you we're clicked on it, because that thought process we're, over, we're tipping that thought process over because yeah, we were always told you got to be aware of hyper grace or you got to be careful of the message you, you preach. Cause that's just greasy grace or grace just gives people a license to sin. And we're going to address how that's not actually a reality, how grace has no word before it. Um, there is no such thing as hyper grace actually. And right. grace when it's preached accurately should lead people to say no to sin, and we're going to actually use the scripture verse where it's quoted. Actually, yeah. I'm, I'm just which, which is up. funny you just say that. I'm just now thinking the people that are so fearful of this thing or this idea of hyper grace, their favorite hymn to sing is Amazing Grace. Right, right. Typically, yeah. And they feel like they have to put some type of description of the grace that they have, and they think it's hyper that it's too much. But man, we're, as we're going to unpack today, man, grace is even bigger, better, more amazing than you even can imagine it to be. And so let's just embrace it and enjoy the freedom that we have in the grace of Jesus. Yeah. And so there's a lot of fear behind this. Oh, you can't preach grace. So, so, so real. So actually how it is, because then people will have this license to sin. But the reality is, is Titus two tells us the exact opposite in the scriptures. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just wanted to put this verse up front before we talk about anything else so that, you know, we're actually quoting scripture. Titus chapter two, verse 11 to 12 says for the grace of God, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. There's another all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So actually, when people say that grace gives people a license to sin, the opposite is actually scriptural. And so I know there's this tension behind rules and religion and why it's just so frustrating. So go ahead, explain that. Yeah, well, honestly, religion and rules don't lead to heart transformation. You know, Jesus did not come to set up a new religious system with new rules and new laws that we have to follow. I would say other than just simply the law of love, which is called the royal law in the book of James. But religion is just a system of living by which we try by our behavior to please find acceptance in or prove our worth to God. Right. Religion is trying to earn what's already yours. And really nothing defines religion quite as well as attempting impossible tasks with limited power, all while pretending that it's working. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's facts. Religion gives people in my experience, it gives people this false sense of authority and power where they can believe and control other people. And they'll say things like, um, 
they'll say things that honestly are really not their place. We had a young adults class um, just a couple months ago and one of the ladies attended and she's a single mom and she talked about how Christians will say stuff to her that one, aren't their place, but they feel like it's a good thing to say to a single mom because she's living a life because of choices she made years ago and they think it's helpful. And so this is what religion does. It gives people this sense of authority where they can say things that are not their place just because they're Christians, they get to quote, correct out of love. Right. And I, I always find that statement ironic because that correction is always in the direction of other people and rarely in the direction of yourself. I mean, there's a reason why that scripture says, um, quit looking at the yeah. speck of dust and dust in someone else's eye when, when you, you have a log, log, in your own eye. log yeah. sticking out, you know, loving our neighbor more than our beliefs doesn't look like telling people where they fall short or how much you disagree with their life choices. That's, that's not the gospel. Right. In fact, the gospel doesn't tell you how to live. The gospel shows you how loved you are. And what would happen if Christians would stop telling people how to live because they disagree with maybe your lifestyle instead of loving people where they're at? Because when, when has your life ever changed when someone who doesn't have a voice in your life ever disagreed with any choice you've ever made. You just right. give them a fat middle well, finger. And, or maybe <laughs> well, what, a what I'm really learning and um, processing through even this week is that I need to really focus more on my circle and less on the crowd. And mm-hmm. even when I say that, what I mean is in my circle, they have the freedom to bring correction. And whenever they say something, it carries more weight because there has been that relationship's you know, that's been, uh, established and you know, and, they're for, they're and I know for that they're for me yeah. and that they love me. Um, I don't think that that's the place with every person out there trying to bring correction to other people, um, because they try to do it outside of relationship mm. with someone like you just said. And I love that you said that, like, it's so ironic that the correction is always in the direction of other people. Um, but if we haven't established that relationship with someone, I just don't necessarily believe that it's that it's valid. Now, your correction will actually do more harm. Yeah. Well, because well, you don't want people to get defensive or um, whatever. You want people to maybe hear what you have to say, but have you spent the time developing the relationship first? And if you haven't fought for that, then what gives you the right to really speak in to someone's life in that capacity? And so I think it's it goes back to everything's about you know, the relationship. And I love that we're having this conversation and what you read, man, was so powerful. Titus two, that it actually empowers us to say no to ungodly living, to say no living. living. I, I just said that real country. weird, real country right there. Well, Hey, it's cow tipping. So mm-hmm. we just talking about some country. grace living up here. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it gives us the grace to say, to say no to sin. And so, so we have to realize that grace is not soft on it. It's not soft on sin, right? Attempting to manage my sin is though. Yeah. Right. Grace actually in, energizes our work. Right. It, it doesn't enable us. Rather, it empowers us. Right. To to be fruitful, to not necessarily follow after what I'll just call our flesh or things that don't mm-hmm. produce good fruit in our life. Grace allows us to just be who, who we are. And I think as we live this life, knowing the grace that we have, grace is naturally is an overflow that we have for other people as well. And so um Really, if you think about it, like I think grace gives us such a higher level of responsibility as a son and a daughter. And we understand as a son and daughter that it's actually not um, all our working, but responsibility. And I love how you've even said this responsibility is our response to his ability in our life. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, I know there's there's a book called The Cure. You, you mentioned it here. Why don't yeah. you read that? Yeah, they have a quote. They say, grace causes us to be wildly free but safe, unguardedly alive but more caring, full of life-giving joy but more deeply sensitive to the pain in others. And that goes back to when people want to bring cautious to grace, they're always like, oh, people are going to just go and do whatever they want. And that recently I've just been challenged on that idea of how do you know what people want? Why are you assuming that what they want is the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle that right. that the the church I grew up with was so like beware, beware, beware? Like what I want is knowing who I am and therefore pulling that out of, out of other people. Like when I realize that my stance before God is perfected already because of what Jesus did. Not only does it give more honor to God, it gives me confidence because it's not based on anything that I can offer. And it, it, it helps me become aware that other people need to be reminded that they're whole because of what Christ did already, even in their sin. And that's what the grace message is all about is bringing people to understand, or I like how you talk about awaken to who they always have been and who they always will be because their position is guaranteed and permanent in Christ. I I just, this, this culture of like warning people uh, against the hyper grace message, honestly, hyper grace, in my opinion, is the Christian response Mm. to something that they're uncomfortable with because they no longer can control people's freedom. And Honestly, if you're looking at it from a perspective of church, most people in leadership positions that are warning their church against hypergrace, they don't really want people to be free. They want people to be good. But the knowledge of the good, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good was in the same tree that evil was. And it's almost like it made us aware of our good efforts to try and get back into good graces with God instead of recognizing that we already are in good graces with God because of Jesus. Right. And when you think about it, though, like everyone, like I hear what you're saying and this response to hyper grace and they're, they're so uncomfortable with freedom because honestly, freedom sometimes is a scary place. Um, because if you actually preach grace properly at the end of the day, the answer to the question, can you go out and do whatever you want? I mean, is yes. Yeah. But, but there's a fact that remains that the, that verse continues everywhere that that's mentioned that Paul says this, he says, but, but don't be controlled by it. Yeah. That might be true, but don't go out there and just prove it to be true. Yeah, because you'll <laughs> you have know? real life consequences. Right, there's there's real life con- consequences. And another side of this, the people that are fearful of this thing called hyper grace, they're like, oh, well, grace is amazing and it's good. Let's preach it. But we have to pair it with truth. It has mm-hmm. to be grace mm-hmm. and truth. And really, there's no such thing as balancing this because, you know, you can't balance what the Holy Spirit already balanced. So when people talk about balancing grace with truth, what they mean is balancing grace with law. Because that's what we really think truth is, is living by the law, following rules, behavior modification. Therefore, grace becomes, you know, quote unquote, greasy or hyper grace, you know, because this idea of grace then becomes a topic we discuss instead of a power we experience. And, and when we have this back and forth, you know, we have to realize that it's not balancing like grace and truth is two sides of the coin and his name is Jesus. Yeah, they're not like they're not antonyms. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're not in in war at war with one another. Yeah, and so I had a guy actually text me. He was asking. Uh, it was a church leadership position. They had to remove somebody from their volunteer team just this past week. And he was like, "How do I um, do? Do I offer grace in this situation um, with little truth, or do I offer truth with little grace?" And I was like, "Why are why are they opposite? Like, why are they uh, either or when it's both and? Like, 
truth and grace don't contradict themselves. They yeah. are the they are the same. And I think it's we get so harsh with people's process because we've already been given time to process and then we expect other people to follow along this Jesus journey in the same pace and the same experiences that we have. But honestly, when we warn people against hyper grace, what we just admitted is that we've lost patience with the Holy Spirit's process of changing people. So we put people back under behavior modification messages because we're more comfortable with people looking good on our behalf because they represent us. And in, in fact, you know, when we put people back under law, what we're saying is you need to perform under the standard that I think you ought to be performing. Mm. And then we give them a list of instructions, a list of do's and don'ts so that we feel better about their salvation. And most of the law that we put on people is for our benefit, not theirs. We're just offended by how slow they tend to be changing. And that's an, a you issue, not a them issue. And so the reality is, is you don't examine yourself to find sin. Jesus dealt with the sin issue. We've talked about that on previous episodes. You examine yourself to find faith. And remember, it's not your faith. It's Christ's faith on your behalf. Jesus didn't die to take away your ability to sin. His death took away the effectiveness of it. Yeah. And that the is consequence the consequence of it. And that yeah. is death. And he took that away. Yeah. And now when we say, oh yeah, of course we're not saying go and do whatever you want. That's your own journey because... I always use the illustration of if my wife says, hey, here's a get out of jail free card and you can go sleep with every woman. Honestly, they, Hollywood made a movie about this and I think it's a joke because then they go and try and sleep with women and they can't because they're all ugly. Yeah. And so it's always like we have this idea. I'm thinking about it right now. Hold <laughs> we, on. What, what's the name of it? I think hall it's pass. called Hall Pass. Hall Pass. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, I got it. If my wife were to be, hey, you can have a Hall Pass, so to speak, I, I actually wouldn't want that. Because not, not because she would forgive me, but because I genuinely love my wife. And the same is true with the gospel. Like your wants change when you understand your freedom. And so I think that's just super important yeah. to recognize freedom. Yeah. Well, real quick, two quotes. First, uh, by our friend, Bill Vanderbush, he actually says this, it's not your ability to keep law and rules that demonstrates your character. It's your ability to manage freedom. What you choose to do when you're free to do anything is what reveals the condition of your heart. Wow. And that is so true. And this is where freedom comes into play. And you really get to see people's not only character, but their integrity, their values, why they might want to just, you know, uh, I'll say abuse grace, because that is maybe flowing from the condition of their current state of their heart. And so, man... When you, what you choose to do when you're free to do anything is what reveals the condition of your heart. That's and something that's you have to, so powerful. to work through and challenge yourself right. on yeah. when you recognize that you're good regardless of your behavior. Yeah. Well, like what you just said in that example, like what is the condition of your heart? Why would you want to do something like that? And yeah. then, then work on that. Maybe you need to bring some healing to that in your life or figure out where that comes from. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people look at porn and it's their hidden sin. Yeah. And it's like you have an opinions about everybody else's public sin, but you're over there. Yeah, I got it. This is what Don <laughs> Keithley said. You will never know you are free from sin until you know you are free to sin. <laughs> yeah, you have permission. We talked about that episode one. Yeah, Grace will expose what has always been in the heart, but has been suppressed and covered up by religious law and guilt-ridden behavior modification. And it, it's basically a different way to say the same thing. Like, yeah. you know, you are responsible for you. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you manage your freedom when you recognize that you're good regardless of your behavior? 
And honestly, the only people that in my experience have tend to have a problem with God's unconditional love tend to be those that are already a part of the church. It tends to anger the church folk who think that they did something to earn God's love. And I'm convinced, honestly, in my own journey that no one really walks away from Jesus. They walk away from unloving, judgmental people who are part of institutions, who aren't open in their thinking, aren't critical with their beliefs, and are dogmatic in what they think is true. And this is why we have so many denominations. This is why the church is resistible to a lot of people. This is why Christians get get labeled things, which I do believe that some of those labels are unfair, but I think some of those labels are justified, you know? Like people aren't safe around Christians because Christians are judgmental of their lifestyle and their choices as if they don't have BS in their own lives, you know? And so I I like what Stephen Crosby says, if your idea of living in grace and freedom results in the decrease or diminishment of the life of Christ in you and through you, it is neither grace nor freedom. The risk in preaching radical grace is that people will misuse it. It's a fact. It has always been that way and always will be. We still preach it anyway, however. We are all free to be stupid and to volunteer for slavery if we want to. Hmm. And he's talking about the slavery that religion brings in your life, the bondage that it produces. Right. And I love how he said, we'll still preach it anyway. Yep. Like, yeah, people might abuse some might. the full out, you know, grace message and some might do that, but we're still going to preach it anyway because it is pure grace and it yep. is the grace that Jesus has for all of us. And just because some people abuse it doesn't mean we shouldn't preach it. I always, I use this illustration when I preached a couple weeks ago. It's my favorite and and you can chime in and tell me if it's a terrible illustration. I think it best describes our permanent identity. It's, uh, here's the scenario. Let's say you're a prostitute, a female prostitute, and the king is walking in the streets and sees you one day, finds favor with you. And because he's the king, he orders you, hey, I want that woman to be my wife. She's got it going on. And if he marries the woman, and again, we're not talking about a culture today because we believe in women having choices to say no, but it's a hypothetical situation. Let's say he marries the woman and automatically her title changes from prostitute to queen. queen. And depending on her circumstances, her past, her history, her belief, her, the way she thinks about her identity, it might take her a couple days, it might take her, take her a couple weeks, it might take her months or even years. She might live like a prostitute for years, even though she's a queen. But eventually she's going to wake up one day in the palace and she's going to go, what the hell am I doing? Why am I living like a prostitute when I'm a queen? And I say that's the same thing as the grace message. One day, the more and more you get told that you are a permanent son or daughter of God, that you are the royal righteousness of Christ because of what Christ has done, one day you're going to wake up and you might have abused the grace message to do whatever you think you want because you you were told that you can't do this. So now that you're free too, you, you just engage and indulge in it. But one day you're going to wake up and go, what the hell am I doing? I don't even want this. None of this is producing life. It's only creating more bondage. It's only creating more chaos. I'm only reaping more consequences. Yeah. And you're going to realize I've been the permanent righteousness of Christ my whole life, it's time to start acting like it. Yeah. And here's why people are scared of it because the two words you said, one day, one day, they can't control the day. Yeah. We don't know exactly when that day will be, but we're going to continue to preach grace anyway, you know, and we've said this multiple times and we'll continue to preach this, but we do believe that it's not our job to tell people how to live their life. It's not our job to warn people or warn you about sin. It's not my job to babysit your walk with God. It is my job though, to show you who Jesus is. It is my job to tell you the truth about who you are and who you'll always be. It is my job to inspire, encourage, and equip you to be able to be responsible 
for yourself to take care enough or to take <laughs> to care enough about your own walk with Jesus that you actually live it out. And what we say all the time is it's not our job to tell people what to do or how to live, but it is our job to show people that they're loved. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what we're going to fully rest on. Yeah. And so honestly, we want to talk about responsibility because when you recognize that grace defines you, you are responsible to live in the kingdom of God and to notice people and to notice people's trauma and then to speak wholeness into their circumstances because people aren't broken. They're only broken because of trauma they've experienced. The truth is, is salvation in Christ is wholeness and it's a message he gave to the world. And that's why you have faith to believe it because if you don't know that you're already whole because of what Jesus did 2000 years ago, you never will live whole. And salvation is for today, yeah. not not to get to heaven. It's to find wholeness in who yeah. you've always been and who yeah. you always will be. And that is why we're so passionate about grace. That is why we are so passionate about the church preaching grace accurately, because people should ask that question. So you mean I can go and sin and, and I'll still be loved? The answer is yes. But then we can have a conversation of, do you run to reap the consequences of making stupid choices just because you're free? Right. And how do you manage that freedom? Because yeah. you have responsibility. Yep, you have responsibility in the kingdom as a son or a daughter. And that's what we'll continue to preach right along with grace is we'll preach kingdom. Yeah, and so you don't have to be aware of the hyper-grace message. It's what Titus says gives you the power to say no to sin. And with that... I love it. No, you are loved. No, I know that. I was just going to say I love it that that cow's being tipped over. Tip it. Love it. Tip it over. And with that, just know you're loved and there's, and there's nothing, nothing you can, you can do, do about it. it.